Well, good evening. It's good to see all of you out tonight. We're glad that you're here with us. Several of you have offered your condolences on the passing of my grandmother, and I appreciate that very much. And one thing that I thought I might mention to you is that I was talking to my aunt yesterday at the funeral, and uh, she said she really appreciated the card that we sent her, and so I thought you would like to know that. Um, so we, we did something good to, to bring some, some joy to, to her in and, and her last days, and so I appreciate that very much. Our lesson for tonight is the first lesson as we get into the second letter that was written to the Thessalonians. We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 tonight, and we'll go through the whole chapter. I think I've got three lessons uh, planned out for this, and this will be the first of those. This is believed to be written during Paul's first stay in Corinth, somewhere around 51-52 AD. And there's a record of that time frame that is found in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 17. I won't go back to, to read that, but you can do that in your own time if you would like. And as we begin this letter, we begin with a salutation. As every letter has, at least for the most part, most letters have a salutation to them of who it's from and, and who it's regarding. But in the Second Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 1, it says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And again, these are the same three that are mentioned in the first letter that is written to the Thessalonians. Uh, Silvanus, uh, of course we also probably better know him as Silas, and Timothy. We, we know a great deal about Timothy and his work for the Lord. And of course, Paul addresses a letter to him, two letters in fact, uh, found just after the Thessalonian letters. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is addressed to the Thessalonian church and Paul requests that the Lord's grace and peace be upon them. This is a common greeting, a common beginning to uh, many of the letters that Paul wrote uh, this is, is something that, that he wishes for all congregations, um, but especially to them as he is writing to them. Lord's grace and peace be upon them. And certainly that is something that is good for all Christians to hear, um, but for them I'm, I'm sure it was, was special too. And then he begins the letter, and we get into the real meat of this letter as we get into enduring tri tribulation. I'm going to divide this up into two sections for the most part. And when we get to the close of it, we'll, we'll look at the last few verses. But there are two main sections that we're going to look closely at. And this is the beginning of the first. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3, it says this. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward you each other. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. One of the first things that we see as we get into verse 3 of first Thessalonians, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is that Paul thanks God always for the faithful brethren. 
We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting. And he gives some detail as to what he is thankful for. But something that is of great encouragement to these churches is that Paul is thankful for them. That he does carry them to the Lord in prayer on many occasions. And he mentions that in a great deal of his letters. Um, but he thanks God for them. Namely, first of all, for their faith. Their faith has grown exceedingly. Hugh sang some songs before we began this lesson about faith. Faith is very important. And we shouldn't underestimate faith. Faith is more than just belief in God. But faith also leads us to doing something. In every occasion that we see a faith, we see faith that not only hears and believes what is said, but faith always leads to an action. Go back to some of the examples that we have in the Old Testament. Look at Noah and building of the ark. He heard the message of God. He heard the word of God. I'm going to destroy the world. And his faith led him to act. He acted in building the ark. He obeyed God. That's what faith is about. Faith is more than just belief, but it's also obedience as well. And it always includes obedience. There's not an occasion that we read of faith that it doesn't also include obedience somewhere. And here it says that their faith had grown exceedingly. And that was good. Their faith in God had been built up and it had grown. And he mentions a second thing that he is thankful for in verse 3. And the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Their love abounds toward one another. Similar is said of the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 16. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. After I heard of your faith and in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, that's something that they had. And that's something that Paul mentions that he is thankful for on both occasions. We read of the importance of loving one another in Scripture. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. He encourages the brethren there to be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And he gives detail as to how to do that. Be kind to one another. Be patient with one another. Uh, they had some commonality and, and use those to, to grow in your love toward one another because things are good. We're also told that knowing love helps us to know God. Loving the brethren helps us to know the love of God. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God loves us. He loved us to the point that He was willing to send His Son to die for us. And that great love helps us to understand how we are to love one another. I often compare the, the love of God, especially in the giving of His Son to marriage, the kind of love that we are to have toward our spouses. But there's also an element of that in our love for one another. As God has loved us, we are to love one another. And it is very important that we do so. We also read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So used to saying 1 Thessalonians, I want to say it. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, as we get into verses 4 and following, it says, So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. He boasts of them among the fellow congregations. He mentions two things specifically. One we've already mentioned before, faith. But he also mentions patience. Their patience in dealing with one another. Their patience in trial uh, and in affliction. And things of that, that nature. The things that they face. They had patience. They had faith. These are possessed despite the tribulations that they endure. These things are evidence of God's righteous judgment. Their endurance will show them worthy in God's final kingdom. Paul previously encouraged the brethren in his first letter regarding the tribulations that they face. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 14, it says, For you, brethren, become, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them too the uttermost. He mentions there are some of the things that they faced before. And in all this they faced them with patience and faith. And so he had reason to commend them for doing so. One of the things that we have to understand about some of the trials that we face is that Christians face trial to accomplish God's will. And that doesn't mean that God causes them to come upon us, but He uses them to help us to grow. We mentioned earlier how the, the Thessalonians had grown, and that was one of the things that they were commended for. And how we deal with our trials, it helps us to grow. 
In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. These are the same two things that Paul had mentioned earlier that he commended them for, their patience and their faith. They had grown in their faith because they faced these difficulties and yet they stood firm in God's Word and in their faith. We're also reminded that their work was not in vain. Their accomplishments were well known to the congregations around them. Paul boasted of them to the congregations around them. They were an encouragement to their fellow brethren and maybe they didn't even realize that they were an encouragement, but they were. They were an encouragement to fellow Christians. These are all positive things that we've looked at so far. And then we come to a point in this chapter where we have sort of a division whenever we get to verse 6. Let's look at taking vengeance and its meaning. We see that, that this has more of a negative connotation, at least to some degree. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. And let's read through verse 10. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, his mighty angels and flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. In the end, the last day at the coming of Christ, God will repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Brother Kirk read from the New American Standard, and it uses the word retribution. I think that's maybe a little bit easier for us to understand. He will pay, repay with retribution those who trouble you. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7 says this, Behold, He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, even they who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. Even so, Amen. A couple of Sunday nights ago, we addressed the, the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, how it was addressed in that first letter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1 says this, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. They shall not escape. But you, brethren are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. This was a common concern among the brethren at this time. When would this be? What would it be like? 
And Paul uses these words for the most part as words of comfort, but he also has words of warning here as we read in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. For those who are ready, this is not a day to be dreaded. He will also give those who have been troubled in this life rest with Him eternally. But he mentions vengeance in 2 Thessalonians. Vengeance will be taken on all who do not obey and do not know God. Something that I wanted to make clear is that there is a difference between vengeance and revenge. God is not going to seek revenge. But He is seeking vengeance. Vengeance is, is more about justice. And that's what God is about. Righteous judgment upon those who have done evil. And as he delivers this vengeance, this justice, this retribution for the things that they have done, we see here that their punishment will never end. They will be separated from the presence of God and His glory. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, it says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl. For your miseries that are coming upon you, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of, the, of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. There will be a day of vengeance for those who are disobedient. For those who do not obey God. For those who do not know Him. Those who do not obey, cannot know God. One thing that we have to be aware of is that vengeance does not belong to Christians. It belongs to God. And likewise, Christians do not seek revenge. We don't seek any kind of pleasure in this justice that is given by God. We don't take pleasure when someone suffers for their evil doing. We do want them to receive justice, but we do not take pleasure in the punishment. The vengeance is not ours to be had. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. In giving us these words, maybe it is with specific purpose because we would take it too far. We would be overcome with the evil if we were allowed to take vengeance. Vengeance is the Lord's. When it comes to our enemies, we should treat them kindly. We should love them, as Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount. But we should not seek vengeance as it is the Lord's. And we certainly should not seek revenge. Overall, we are not to be overcome by evil. We're also told here that Christ will return to receive those who are faithful. We've been promised that He will return to bring us home. When He comes, as we read here, He will be glorified and admired by those who have watched, longingly awaiting His return. For those who are not prepared, it's a very sad day. But for those of us as Christians, those of us who look for this day with joy, with longing, it will be a day that will never be forgotten. God will be glorified. And that's what we long to see. I thought of a, a song. I think of a song a lot of times. But I thought of a song that I thought I would share some of the, the words with you here. Fourth stanza in particular of It Is Well With My Soul written by Horatio G. Spafford in 1873. He said this, And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sighed. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. When Christ returns, for those of us who are faithful, it's a day of victory. It's a day to be celebrated. It's a day to be hastened. We want the day of the Lord to come. There were many who feared. That was one of the reasons for writing about this to the Thessalonians. And in, even in, in the first letter, he wrote about the same thing. To comfort them. To give them comfort. And here, that last line, even so, it is well with my soul. It's only well with our soul if we are faithful to the end. We have two more verses to conclude the chapter. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning with verse 11. Therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The reward of the faithful is the prayer of the three. Christians are saved by the grace and mercy of God. 
Our salvation is not something that we can accomplish on our own. It's something that we have to trust God for. But it does come by His grace and mercy and through our obedience to His will. When it comes to us as Christians, we need to remember that we do have a duty on this earth. Yes, salvation comes through grace and mercy, but we have a duty to be obedient and we have a duty to remain faithful. Faithfulness entails our offering of ourselves, of our lives to God. Romans 12 and verse 1, we use this a lot. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. God gave us His Son. One thing that really mattered to Him, His Son, He gave His Son to be sent to earth to die on a cross so that we might have salvation. We mentioned it before, but considering all that God gave for us, is it not a reasonable thing for us to offer our lives to Him? And all of this is to be for the glorification of Christ according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ as He mentions here at the end of this, le- this chapter. Are we faithful? Paul encouraged the Thessalonians to remain faithful and so we are encouraged as Christians to remain faithful also. He commended them for their patience and faith. Those are things that we need to grow in also. Many great encouragements that Paul gives that, that we can use in our own lives. I don't know where you stand tonight. I don't know if you're a child of God. Maybe it is that you need to obey the gospel. Repentance, confession of Christ. Baptism for the remission of sins. Maybe it is that you haven't lived a faithful life and maybe you need to come back. Maybe you need to ask for prayers or for forgiveness for something that you've done. But if there's any way that we can assist you, as we always do, we offer the invitation. Please come as we stand and as we sing.